And so to bring that back to like the great resignation, the big quit, right? What we're seeing right now in the labor market, um, I, I, I think COVID just amplified what was already there. And you know, if you think about it, managers really have no training in actually how to design work to be good for the people who are ultimately like the customer of that right of that job, meaning the employees. So the basic argument is when we improve work, we should not only look at the processes, but we also should look at the jobs. We should design them intentionally to allow people to bring out, you know, the best in them. So, so my, my, you know, mission is to, you know, bring that, bring that concept to bear in how people design work so that those who do the work, you know, are more motivated and engaged. Hey everyone, I'm Elizabeth Swan. And I'm Tracy O'Rourke, and we're from the Just In Time Cafe, and welcome to our podcast. At the cafe, we wrestle with tough questions, talk to groundbreakers, discuss great books, and get insights from Lean Six Sigma practitioners who are making a difference in the world. We let you in on helpful apps, we bring you the news, and we challenge the status quo so you can build your problem-solving muscles. So Elizabeth, what's on the cafe menu? Today's highlight is our interview with business consultant, Thomas Bertels. He's the host of the Work Matters podcast with the tagline, work is broken, let's fix it. And we're gonna discuss a concept that he's been using to do just that. Next up, we'll review a bare bones, no frills posted app that lets you brainstorm across the ocean. And for Q and A, we asked our community how they help people navigate what we call the messy middle. Lots of awesome tips for you guys today. You picked a great day to come to the cafe, right, Tracy? Well, isn't every day a great day to come to the cafe? You know, I think you are right. <laughs> Up next, it's Hot Apps. Yes, Tracy, today's app is called Idea Boards. And it has one of the most intriguing homepages I've ever experienced. It's a colorful pastiche of post-it notes, and you simply click on them to figure out how to navigate the app. What do you think of it? Well, first I want to know why it was the most intriguing homepage. That is impressive. So tell me why you think that it's the well, most intriguing. It was so simple, and it was just... Um, not like anything you see, right? You see slick, you see features here. And this was just like post-it notes at different angles, like you have on a, on a, you know, in real life when they're on a board, people don't put them up all neatly and equal this equal distance apart, everything. These things were just like all over the place, but they were so simple. It was like, you want FAQs right here, you know, and then there's a, you know, you want to take it for a spin right here. It was so immediate. I just like that. Yeah, immediate, simple. I feel like sometimes, I mean, we do, we look at apps all the time, Elizabeth, and sometimes we're like, what, what do these people do? <laughs> right? And we didn't have to worry about that with this particular website. So yes, it's idea boards. Guess what it does? <laughs> it's a digital team collaboration tool. It's really focused on using post-its to do brain, you know, team activities virtually, really. I mean, you don't have to do it virtually, but I think a lot of people can do it virtually. You can brainstorm, you can gather inputs, you can reflect, you can have reflection and retrospect. It's especially useful 
for teams that are distributed uh, geographically. So you've got teams and people in, in different kinds of areas and you, can, you have a place where people can go to share their ideas. It's very similar to other whiteboard type applications like Jamboard with Google or Mural or Miro. Um, and, you know, of course, like I said, the benefit being that they're handy for teams to collect inputs over a few days even. And, you know, I really like that idea. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things I like about virtual brainstorming is these tools kind of let you sit overnight. And if you come up with an idea, you can just add it to the idea board at two o'clock if you want and, and then review it. So, you know, to your point, Elizabeth, you talk about theta waves in one of our webinars and how mm -hmm. important it is to have time for theta waves. And so to me, I'd say, you know, capturing, having people do something like this in a whiteboard and then having them, you know, think about it and then maybe make some ads to the, on the next day. It's like you're inserting time for theta waves, which I think is great. And you can't always do that in a live whiteboard or like a live brainstorming session. So what did um, you discover? No, that's great. I'm glad you brought it up because I thought about it and then I forgot about it. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's really it really does let you have that time. It's built in that this board is out there so you can sleep on it, go back to it, take your time uh, and do it to take advantage of the way your brain works. So like I said, it's not like any app I've seen. It's free, no pricing plan, no need to log in. If you do, they're not going to send you any emails. And if you want to share an idea board that you've constructed, you simply copy the URL and paste it into an email or a text and share it with somebody else to use. So totally bare bones. Um, I was intrigued by one of their templates. It was called Starfish Retrospective. I'm like, what's a Starfish Retrospective? <laughs> so it's something that you and I use, right? There's three columns. Keep doing, right? The stuff we want to keep doing or you want people to keep doing. Start doing, right? Things that people are not doing now you want to start and then stop doing things people are doing and they shouldn't. So you hit the plus sign, a little post-it appears in the column. Uh, once you're done with a board or at any point in the board, you could export it into a PDF or Excel. So super simple again. It gives you a little voting capability. You know, you hit the plus sign, give it a thumbs up. And I found out you could do Chicago style. I can, I can hit it multiple times and keep pumping up the vote. So that's just in case you use this and you want your idea to win. You could make it win. So, um, and I can see offering this up to an improvement team that just wants to do simple collaboration, right? They can share the URL, the URL, they're going to add ideas, they're going to add action items. It's colorful, right? It's appealing. It just gives you these nice different color post-it notes. There is zero learning curve since there's just really few features. They've just replicated a flip chart as far as I can tell. You stick post-its on there, you organize them, you multi-vote, it's super easy. Yeah, I really feel like even though there's a lot of people that have really uh, learned a lot in terms of virtual uh, capability, Zoom, Miro, Miro, I feel like there's still a lot of people that have not had to do it. And this would be a really great idea board to start them with because it's just so easy, like you said. Yeah. It's like starter board. I like that. Mm -hmm. I'm Elizabeth Swan, and you're listening to the Just In Time Cafe podcast. In a short while, you'll get to hear our interview with Thomas Bertels. Next up, it's an issue we pose to our community. How do you support people as they navigate the messy middle? 
And I know you deal with this too, Tracy, but the first round of identifying problem statements usually results in my having to push back, right? I have to say things like, what problem would automation solve? <laughs> I'm so used to saying that. And as you can see, it's, it's confusion for them. Like I say that and they're like, what? Like, and they'll say, well, the problem is the process is, is manual. And I'm like, okay, but what problem does that cause? <laughs> you know? So are things taking too long? Are people making mistakes? You know, we work a lot in healthcare and most nursing processes are manual and that's a good thing. So trying to get them to differentiate, you know, sort of assuming manual is bad and, and, and what exactly is bad about it. And, and mainly I can see that they come in full of excitement, right? They're ready. They did their homework. They came up with a good project in their minds. And then my questions kind of knock them back, you know, and I can see it's, it's easy for us to forget how foggy things seem to learners, right? And we try to open their eyes to a new process. We, we, when we do it, we kind of take their clarity away and, and we kind of push them into the haze. And that's what you and I call the messy middle. And a good quote for this, I think, is learning is uncomfortable. And it's hard to remember that. It's not comfortable, right? And I try to prepare them for this. So they'll have moments of clarity and then the fog's going to set in and the clouds are going to break, right? It's a process. So how do you support people as they navigate this this messiness. Yeah, I, I, I think there's so much opportunity here, but I will say that, you know, I think a lot of people say, well, that's why we send people to training. We send people to training and then they have to go apply it. And, you know, that's, that's where it becomes the messy middle. So, you know, I'm actually exploring a couple of different approaches for Greenbelt and I was having a conversation with someone and they're like, well, you know, let's, let's just do the training. Do we really need the project? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, <laughs> I mean, that's like the whole point. You don't want to just send them to training and then just throw them out there with no help, no support. And so I, I'd say that's pretty much what the messy middle is. That's what we do every day as Greenbelt coaches is we don't want you to just go through a series of training modules. We want you to try it, apply it, apply it, and have a coach, me, you, right there <laughs> with you so that when you stumble through the problem statements, you stumble through the goal statements, you stumble, you jump to solution instead of you know exploring root causes, you've got somebody there to help you and guide you. And boy, is that learning so much less painful when you've got some help. And I've seen a lot of pain where I've come in and it was a little too late because they were set on this other path without having a coach and it was painful and they're, you know, they don't have that support. It's so much harder to learn when you don't have somebody to help you as a guide. And, uh, you know, I can't even say enough about it. And so we, you know, yeah, learning is hard and some people love to learn, but even people that love to learn, sometimes learning is hard. Certain, le certain things to learn are hard. So um, the messy middle is everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So uh, here's one of the responses. We, we asked our, our community, you posted this on LinkedIn, which is great. And we got a couple of uh, really good responses. So one was from Lean Six Sigma consultant, Terry Callahan. He says that when, in the, when he's in the messy middle, data, whether in the form of information or analysis, can be that objective guide. He tries to set the stage so that they follow the data to see where it takes them. Um, he's right. Data is a huge part of this. And here's another 
great leadership, um, great idea from leadership impact coach Sunitha uh, Narayan, and she's addressing how we offer help, right? And she says asking, how can I help is not complete because sometimes people are still figuring out what help looks like. So she tries asking, what do you see me doing to help? And she says that unlocks the visual thinking part of the brain. Mm-hmm. And I really like Sunitha's advice since I know there is sometimes silence when we offer, how can we help, right? They're in a fog, they don't know. So she's pointing out that we can access different parts of our brains when we're asked to visualize something. It causes a shift. Isn't that cool? That is cool. And I think it can really help uh, people to think about how they can leverage people. I'm actually kind of in that spot right now. I'm trying to do a, a parent thing. Uh, you know, a little, it's a re- little reunion party and I'm getting a ton of parents coming to me going, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I should probably think about the visualization <laughs> part. You know, I help you, I help, I see you helping me man tables for the cupcakes. <laughs> for I see you pizza. rolling pigs in a blanket to put on the hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> <laughs> Let me visualize this. Do you know how to make pigs in a blanket? <laughs> Okay, so here's another take from Jennifer Ayers, Executive Director at NWHPEC. She brought up this, why why she truly values and believes in the improvement and coaching kata model. You strive towards your next milestone, your target condition, through incremental experiments that are focused on gaining understanding or eliminating obstacles that are directly in your path. And all of a sudden, there isn't a lot of mess and we aren't overwhelmed. And this provides a beam of light through the fog that we can walk towards. And since this happens under the guidance of an experienced coach, you build confidence along the way as you walk through the fog together, like the the, the valley of the shadows of death or something. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's a little severe, Tracy. It's a little severe. <laughs> so Jennifer is gonna be running an interactive session on how to deal with emotional waste at the cafe later this month. We'll provide the link, so don't miss that. Yeah, Jennifer is awesome. And I'd agree with her on those being advantages of the Kata model, which I have used. You don't stay in the fog for long. And that's kind of key for momentum, all right, that you don't get taken down. And another contributor, here's a bit of wisdom from Sabrina Malter. She's a business coach and leadership consultant. In order to support people navigating the messy middle, she tries to instill the joy of learning in the people she coaches. And she celebrates discoveries and she asks them what each new learning, you know, makes possible for them and where it might lead. And more often than not, she, uh, more often than not, she finds that sparks their enthusiasm for more learning. Um, And I like that. That's a great approach, you know, celebrate the learning when they're in the messy middle, applaud perseverance, right. Uh, And remind them it's those moments that are going to stick with them, right. That's when whatever happened after the fog that that's not going to leave you. So Tons of great advice from the community. Um, we'll provide the link if you want to add to the conversation. Yes, join the conversation. I'm Tracy O'Rourke, and you're listening to the Just in Time Cafe podcast. We host these monthly, so you can go to www.jitcafe, that's J-I-T-C-A-F-E, dot com and go to our podcast page. We have a lot of them on there now. I mean, we've got at least like 25, 20, something like that. So check them out. 
Coming up next, it's our featured guest, Thomas Bertels. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Thomas? Yes, I would love to do that. Thomas is a management consultant who is on a mission to make work more productive, viable, meaningful, and impactful. He's the host of the Work Matters podcast, and he has 25 years of experience helping companies transform how work gets done and enabling large-scale change efforts. He helps people with change management, strategic planning, team building, and everything under that umbrella. I have known Thomas personally for all 25 years of all 25 of those years, so I am excited to bring him to the cafe. Welcome, welcome, Thomas. Um, I want to uh, tell my the our cafe audience a little bit about you, uh, Thomas. I was just telling Tracy that our first time working together goes back all the way to the mid nineties. And you and I originally met up running a simulation for a small GE acquisition in Leipzig, Germany. And this was part of GE's global Six Sigma rollout, but all of our materials, our books, our simulation parts, everything got stuck in customs. So we were exercising our improvisational skills. <laughs> um, and that was an unforgettable experience. And after, shall I say, a brief reflection session in a beer garden, we have been connected ever since. <laughs> That's God, correct. I just had FOMO. I just missed out on that. I wish I was there too. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Well, that... in that moment, you probably wouldn't want it to be there. You know, we were a little <laughs> deflated. Yeah. We didn't feel quite six sigma. We felt like zero sigma at times. We had nowhere to go but up, Tracy. We were bonded in our desire to do better in this world, which I think, I think you know, 25 years later, I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, we did. <laughs> so we've both been in the continuous improvement world all these years doing similar work, but I wanted to bring Tom to the cafe because um, your current focus seems to be is to address kind of the fallout of a, a huge modern problem, right? The great resignation or the big quit. And I wanna know, can you describe your current efforts in this realm and how they relate to process improvement? Sure, uh, absolutely. So so basically my my journey in this is, right, as you know, right, I've been like 20, over 20 some years in this Operation Excellence space. And initially a lot of Six Sigma and then a lot more lean. Um, and in 2004, I was introduced by a colleague of mine, John Yuzi, to the concept of motivational work design. Um, and it, it really, it, it connected with me, right? And, and now it's like some 18 years later, right? I, I decided to really make that, so I can know, front and center of, of my work. Um, and the basic idea behind motivational work design is very simple. You can only do a good job if there's a good job to be done, right? And then the next question is, well, what makes a good job? Right. And, and so, uh, and, you know, everybody, I think, you know, every one of your listeners can relate to that. If you would you know, think about the best job you ever had and you like brainstorm, right, the attributes of that job, and then you take the worst job you ever had, you know, what you find is that there's like a couple of dimensions um, that, 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 you know, you would use to describe that, right? So, so um, a good job is meaningful work, right? You can bring a couple of different skills. Uh, you can play at top of your game. You, you have a, accountability for work product from start to finish, and the work itself is meaningful. Um, on, on top of that, you have autonomy how you do the work, you decide when and how it gets done, and uh, you know how you're doing, right? You, just by doing the work, you can tell whether you're doing a good job or not. 
And if a job is well designed to bring out those attributes, people are intrinsically motivated, right? That's work they want to do. Uh, so think about like, you know, people that, that frequently score high on, on those dimensions, nurses, teacher, fireman, right? Again, it's like all these jobs, you know, match those dimensions. Um, a teacher, right? You own the classroom. What you do is very important for, you know, the those children in your charge. Um, you know how you're doing, right? You can see the progress, right? And the work obviously is meaningful. So so that, that's also, also like the dimensions of what makes a good job. And now if you take that into the work uh, context, then you kind of realize that nobody ever thinks about designing work to be intrinsically motivating for the people who need to do the jobs, right? And, and even, you know, you and me and everybody who's been in the process improvement space, right? When we go to fix work, we tend to look at so like to take the non-value added work out and standardize everything. And, but we never really look at so like the experience of the people who live in those process swim lanes. Um, and, you know, if you think about it, managers really have no training in actually how to design work to be good for the people who are ultimately like the customer of that, right, of that job, meaning the employees, right? And so to bring that back to like the great resignation, the big quit, right, what we're seeing right now in the labor market, um, I, I think COVID just amplified what was already there. So, you know, people before were disengaged, right, the Gallup surveys have been around for a long time. So, you know, a third of the workforce is, is, is engaged, and that's like the high point, right? Um, you know, one-sixth is actively disengaged, and the rest is somewhere in the middle, right? And so if you think about, you're basically running, you, it's kind of like you're driving a car in the second gear, right? You could go more, but you just don't have, um, right, uh, that, that part of the organization engaged. So the basic argument is, you know, we, we can, we when we improve work, we should not only look at the processes, but we also should look at the jobs. We should design them intentionally to allow people to bring out, you know, the best in them. And there's actually the connection to the operational excellence, like Lean Six Sigma workers. And if you think about, if you fix it, works from that perspective, right? So you put tasks that have been separated back together, right? You give people feedback, i.e. metrics, right? How they're doing. So there's really a strong connection between so like the, the lean concepts and the motivational work design concept. So, so my my you know mission is to you know bring that bring that concept to bear in how people design work, so that those who do the work you know are more motivated and engaged. So, Thomas, how does culture play a role in motivational work design? Because I agree, all of the things you said, I absolutely agree with. I didn't hear um, the the part about the environment. So, can you t can you expand a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, culture is huge, right? In in every organization, um, it, it, it's the approach is somewhat culture agnostic to a certain degree. So, um, what I mean by that is, if you got a management team that that's like is in the theory X world, right? People are lazy and stupid. We got to beat them to show up at work. Then motivational work design is not for you, right? It just doesn't make sense, right? You really don't care, right? If you're on the other side think that, you know, by and large, right, people show up uh, at work to, to have an impact, right, to put a dent in the universe. And, and your job as a manager is to create the conditions to do that. So like a certain leadership mindset, then I think motivational work design, I think is very appropriate. Um, so culture is the context, right? And I think it's obviously very important, like how the leadership sets the tone, the values we care about, uh, and so forth. But the, the argument here is to say, even in the best culture, 
right? Because the way we're trained, right? We're chopping work into smaller and smaller fragments so we can like, you know, get the it's like least expensive resource to do the work, right? And we create these elaborate hierarchies. Um, that in, in, in itself, so I can now perpetuates, I think, a certain, right, a certain model. And so the, the cultural piece is, uh, I think, important. But at the end of the day, even if you have just like an okay culture, the least you could do is actually create a job that's worth doing in itself, right? Even if your company culture is not the greatest. So, so I see it sort of as a as a parallel dimension, right? And it, I, I think you've got to think about job design as 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 an item in itself, and obviously exists in the larger organizational culture context. Yeah, I mean, I think you're. It's probably true for process improvement, right? You have to have a culture that supports it, right? There's, and obviously, then there's some shift, hopefully, based on what you do, either in improvement efforts or, in your case, the motivational work design. So can you give a sense, and you can use an example if you want of what you did with a particular client or just your process in general, like what, what do you, what's your overarching approach? Yeah, so the overarching approach is, it's pretty straightforward, right? So one is right, you, you check whether it's right for the client, right? So right, does, right, do they have very fragmented workflows? Um, is the you know, managerial mindset supportive of an approach like this? Because as we get to the implementation, it relies on the people on the ground actually designing the work. The people do the work, right? It's not the consultant coming and saying, and here's how it should be done, right? It's the folks who do the work. Um, so people got to be comfortable with that, right? Um, so, so those are sort of, you know, the, the initial validation piece. And then we typically run a diagnostic. So there's a survey tool that's been around for 50 some years. Um, it comes out of some survey work by Hackman and Oldham, uh, like out of 1976. Um, and they actually, you know, developed this tool that measures how do people experience their job. And it gives them actually a, a score, right? Between, you know, one and 343, right? 343, right? You're, you show up for work even if you don't get paid, right? Um, right? If you're below 100, you, right, you, you got to throw extra money at people just to get out of bed, right? So it, it, what it does is basically that you, you run that survey and it gives you a diagnostic as to where work is poorly designed, right? Where people experience the work is not very meaningful. And that gives you a little bit like a role. And it also tells you what specific aspect about the work is, is not well designed, right? Is it uh, the responsibility for the entire work product? Is it knowing how you're doing? Is it the autonomy that you have? Um, so that survey kind of gives you the baseline information that tells you where in the organization things are really broken. And then typically, you know, you pick right, a process, an organizational uh, um, uh, uh, grouping, right? Let's say a department, or you can run it through the entire organization and you work through, right? What's the mission critical element? Um, let's look at the, you know, how people are connected to that element. Um, and then you implement, you basically put the individual, you take out the non-value added pieces of the work, right? So you remove all the, all the stuff that doesn't tie to the mission. You put the job back together that oftentimes involves creating a team, right? So you have like, you know, three, four, five people that's like own this uh, start to finish. Um, you connect them directly to the customer of that work in, in the ideal case, right? So you want zero degrees of separation from the customer. Um, and, uh, you know, you create some feedback mechanisms, whether it's the customer or it's the work product itself. The supervisor is like the third best option, right? Um, so there's kind of like a, a cadence of steps you can go through as you redesign work. Obviously, you got to train people in how to do this. But, but at, the, at the end of the day, right, the people closest to the work got to make those decisions, right? It's like there's this old adage, nobody washes a rental car, 
right? So if you want people to care about the work, they got to design it themselves. Can you give us an example, Thomas, of just a simple example of uh, a work that was redesigned with this motivational work design concept to give people an idea of what you what you mean? Sure. Um, so a couple of years ago, we, we did a project with a specialty pharmacy business, right? So if you're on one of these specialty medications that need to be infused, right? Or, you know, you have um, uh, certain conditions where basically, right, it's called a specialty product. So right, you can't go to your regular pharmacy, right? There's four or five of these. You got to call in and you got to get your prescription filled. And it oftentimes involves something that, that's infused. So there's some nursing services need to be arranged and so forth, right? So it's a um, the, the way the process works is, you know, the doctor writes a script, the patient calls in the script. Um, and then the old process was that, you know, as a person who picked up the phone and kind of like locked the case, and then you had to verify the benefits. So you'd hand that over to a different department and somebody had to go in the warehouse and pull together this stuff. And then the pharmacist would have to call the patient and explain it to them. So there were like four or five people involved, right? Um, and basically what we ended up doing is we put all these people around the table and said, you know, you guys are now, right, part number 14, right? And all, right, you you care, um, you're responsible for all the patients in a certain geography of the country, right? So you create direct accountability to these patients. Hmm. And then, you know, it's like people sit side by side. And so you have like a lean process design, right? If you think about it, it's very simplistic, right? But again, it's like, you know, everybody sees, right? How we're doing against what the patient, uh, what the patient needs. Um, right, so you don't have all these right scorecards and Excel sheets and supposed to track the work, right? And you can take it actually all the way to the point where people are in a sense a self-managing team. So you actually don't need a supervisor that tells people what to do it and, and when to do it, right? Because at the end of the day, right, they get their 400 patients a day, right? So they see every single one. They know exactly how they're doing. Does that like an answer answer the question? Yeah, it sounds like. Part of what I heard and made a difference to me is you gave them direct accountability to certain customers. Is that is that one of the differences that you made? Yeah, that's one of the differences you create. Um, you, you align them as a customer, right? Uh, you also provide direct feedback, right? Because before, right, they would just see the itsy bitsy part of the process, right? So it's kind of like you know every day, just like an endless amount of phone calls. You never know how the story started. You never know how the story ends, right? Yeah. So now you can actually trace it from, we took the call at eight o'clock, right? By 9.03, the package left the dock with everything that this patient mm. needs. Yeah. All right. So, and again, you get the business benefits, right? You shrink the cycle time, reduce the error rate, right? You just take a lot of complexity out of the process, um, but you also create a better customer experience. So that's one of the really interesting things about the work design approach, that in addition to like a better employ, higher employee engagement, you get a better customer experience and you get higher productivity. Mm. So it's you know one of those nice triple win things, right? That if yeah. you have the cultural stomach for it, right, um, it, it, it's, it can be quite impactful. So is there ever a case where you have a, you've dealt with or just in general, how do you focus on tasks that are just a slog or draining? They just got to get done. How do, you, how do you deal with those? Well, two dimensions. I mean, one is the work just might be distasteful, right, in itself, right? Um, and in that case, quite frankly, let's say you're a debt collector, right? And you call people up and you say, I got to squeeze the last penny out of them, right? Um, <laughs> there you shouldn't apply motivational job design. It's a miserable job. Right? It's going to make people miserable just by the nature of the work itself. Right? <laughs> a miserable 
<laughs> it's just hopeless. Forget it. It, Forget it is, right? Um, <laughs> then you apply process improvement to make it as efficient as possible so you can just get be done with it. <laughs> yeah, just some work is just distasteful, right? It's, it, it, you're it a repo really man, no you're a repo man. It, right? you're, yeah, exactly. But you drive away with people's cars, you know? I know, it's there's like, no getting around it. <laughs> I mean, maybe some people are intrinsically motivated by that, you know, but I, I don't know. But yeah, some people but, so do I think, like I, it. I, so, so one thing you find though is like you know, obviously, oftentimes you know you you, write, you take this non-value added work away from the people that you really want to focus on the mission, right? So sometimes you got to give it to somebody, right? But then at least you concentrate all these like non-mission critical jobs in in uh, in a few people, right? And you select people that are actually willing and motivated and and, and you know can do that work without going crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of like sprinkling like 50% craziness into everybody's job, which then makes, you know, everybody crazy. Right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. So have you run into any challenges with, you know, getting people to buy into the motivational work design concepts or challenges with implementing it? I'm sure you probably have. <laughs> Just like everything. No, it's a slam dunk every single time. It's a slam dunk. Um, <laughs> Well, shoot, I need to switch jobs. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. So come, come on board, you know, I preach the gospel. No, it's, it's um, I, I think it's very difficult um, for managers um, to let go of this idea that they got to decide, right, what the work is and how the work gets done. It's very, very hard. And, and even our data, right, I mean, we've run this, we call it the Mojo Diagnostic, right, so we run this diagnostic. And not surprisingly, right, the people highest on the food chain experience their work, you know, very, a lot more rewarding than people at the bottom of the food chain, right? So if you're 30,000 feet above the, uh, above the ground, the sky is always blue, right? So, and you get like the, the iceberg of ignorance phenomena, right? That the people on top just know 4% of what's going on, the people at the bottom know 100%, right? So again, it's like, and then you have those people that have this 4% knowledge make very important decisions around like how the work gets done, right? So you got to, you got to have a servant leadership mindset, right? So you got to really be able to to, to let go and, and and give people the degrees of freedom uh, to figure it out, and quite frankly, also maybe to make mistakes, right? It's like nothing is ever a slam dunk. That's why it's called, you know, continuous improvement, right? Um, um, yeah. Sorry, I'm just I'm just reveling in this term, iceberg of of ignorance. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, uh, Jeff Matlow, who was a guest on my podcast, introduced me to that. You know, it's apparently a concept that's been around for a while, but I, I just love the metaphor, right? Because you just see it's like the top of the issues that make it to the 15th floor, right? And you just don't understand like all everything that's involved right below that. Um, so uh, you mentioned putting certain people in certain roles. How do people's personalities play into mo motivational work design? That's an excellent question. So, so the underlying assumption is, right, that that people like have a gross mindset, right? They want to develop their skills in the job. And that's not true for everybody, right? Um, there are people, for example, that, that want to be jazz musicians, right? And so for them, they want a job that consumes the least amount of their mental energy and has like a, right? And ends promptly at 4.30 so they can get to band rehearsal, right? So again, it's like, then you got to find, right? You got to map, match those people, right? With jobs that that's like, you know, don't require a gross mindset, right? Um, but I think um, I don't know what that was. Um, but but so I think by and so the one dimension of the diagnostic basically measures to what extent right people are looking for growth and development in their job. Uh, mm -hmm. 
Interesting. You know, it made me think because Elizabeth and I, we do the same role. We have the same job. We're both consultants, process improvement. But in working together with her for so long, um, you know, we we uh, excel, obviously, at different things, right? She's a whiz when it comes to writing and she's super thorough and, you know, she'll, she'll catch every, you know, error in any you know, workbook and, and I'm really good at putting the slides together <laughs> with, with all the errors in them <laughs> right, so that I can get the joy of removing them. <laughs> so, uh, so how do you, I mean, how much of it will play a factor with, um, people in, in, in creating motivational work? Cause it's, you know, you could say it's the same process, but it's, it's different people doing it. Yeah. Um, well, let me, maybe I'm not going to answer your question directly, right? But so one is, I mean, obviously you got to look at the nature of the work, right? So consulting work tends to be more project-based work, right? So you have a lot of variety, right? You don't do the same thing over and over again, I, I presume, right? Although on the training side, you probably do, right? If you do training. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. but so where the motivational work design really comes into place in these organizations, you know, insurance companies, right? Where we really chop jobs to like the smallest common denominator. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and especially it's like on the transactional side. Um, if you go, for example, into manufacturing today, right, thanks to Lean, thanks to Just in Time, we actually started to undo like this tailor rhythm, right? We have right teams that that's like you know like own their value stream, right? They got their daily adults, they solve their own problems, right? They got some degree of autonomy how and when they run the machines, right? Or or how things are being maintained. So on the on the operational side, we've done this. We haven't taken that back into the office, right? And if you like, think about knowledge work, um, even the technology aspect of that is, is is really depressing, right? If you think about how work gets done, it's like an endless stream of emails and Slack messages and text messages and ping pong, right? And so so there's this like people are bombarded, right? And even from a it's like a neuroscience perspective, right? That just creates like right changeover right um mental changeover and and context switching right so uh -huh. again i think that the idea is you know it's like if you do something often enough right so it's a repetitive process then it probably makes sense to design it intentionally right and think uh -huh. about right does it make sense for elizabeth to do the entire thing or is this like a natural break point right and and would that still give elizabeth like a sense of completion right or Right? Would it be then you kind of you both would have to sit together so you actually it's like you know see the end of the story, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think you you can apply it's like work design um, to your own context, right? And it's really more about being deliberate and making deliberate choices around like how the work gets gets divvied up and decided, right, and managed. Mm -hmm. um, but you probably do it intuitively, right? Because you mm -hmm. probably have a sense for. Right. Let's say your podcast production. Right. So we might figure out the work and and we have a starting point. What right? we find a guest, we have an end point. We post the episode. Right. So you have that end to end um, uh, responsibility for the work product. But a lot of people don't have that. I mean, right. Call any customer service function. Right. And and let's say you're upset. Right. So now it's kind of like, right. You're just taking a call. You just got this very narrow bandwidth. You got to transfer people somewhere else if it's outside your domain. You can't really fix the problem. You don't have any autonomy, right? The rules are restricting you. And and the feedback comes from your supervisor that says, like, spend less time on the phone, Tracy, you know? <laughs> um, so you mentioned earlier one of the guests on your podcast. So I wanted you, could you tell us a little bit about 
your podcast. I love the name and the tagline, all right? Work matters and then work is broken. Let's fix it. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the whole the whole point of the the, the podcast is uh, an excuse to have a conversation with really interesting people uh, about right what we can do to make work more productive. Right. So think right, lean six sigma. Right. Take the waste out. Valuable. Right. In the sense of elevating what people do. Uh, meaningful. Right. Think about motivational job design and impactful. Right, actually getting things to to right hit the target versus being you know one of these efforts that kind of like you know disappears right to people um, people forget about and and so it, it's a broad canvas right it, it, it same as your right your your podcast it it just provides a great excuse to bring people on board and, and you know as so you talk to you know we had academics right uh, we had a lot of bunch of consultants we had practitioners right so people actually have to right make this happen right. Um, both as executives or as, you know, people inside an organization, right? Um, and it's been a great excuse to, you know, reconnect with, with old friends and make new ones. Um, well, that's it, why we do it too. It is <laughs> the great relationship builder. I love it. I'm with you. Um, yeah, and it's like, I mean, I have like, for example, I mean, the the, the guy who got me into consulting some um, some years ago, um, it was one of the guests in my podcast, right? And and he he liked it so much that now he's introduced me to like four more people to talk to, right? And so it has like a nice little kind of like an organic network effect there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Good. what else is in the future for you? I You did mention that you might be collaborating on a book. Is this true? <laughs> that is uh, that is absolutely correct, yes. The, the, the rumor is true. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so work on the book, we call it right now, the, the, the code name is Finding Mojo, right? Mojo for motivational job design or more joy from work. Um, and, uh, and I'm writing that with a, with a friend and, and client of mine, David Henkin. Um, and we're kind of like, you know, 60% there in our mind. Maybe we're, maybe we're <laughs> correct or maybe we're wrong. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll try to get that uh, book out presumably sometime early next year. Uh, I'm going to write that down right now and make sure that we get to. And then we'll we'll have you come on and talk about your book. Oh yeah. In the meantime, what? uh, How do people get in touch with you? How do they find you? So you can go to our website, which is www.purpose.works. W O R K S. Um, and you can also email me at you know thomas.bertels b e r t e l s at purpose.works. Great. And we'll put those links um, on the podcast so people can can find you and uh, they can hunt you down. So uh, thank you so much for coming on, Thomas. It's such a pleasure to talk with you always, but I I love this focus. I love this combination of, hey, we can we can improve the process, but then is it worth doing that job? So, uh, and having a process to address that, like just listening to it, it's like, oh, these are things that we know about, but putting them all together like that is, uh, it's lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, I, I think for every, you know, Operation Excellence Lean Six Sigma professional, right? It's like, it should be like a second, you know, lens that we apply, right? At our yeah. work and say, okay, right. More efficient process. Yahoo. You know, it's like, but to your point, right? To to are people actually enjoying the work, right? And and I think the the measurability, I think, is, is something that should appear to every you know six sigma person. 
So you can crunch numbers, you can calculate standard deviations and, and so forth. Right? And so there's, a, there's some real math behind this. I don't know why it's 343, but I'm trusting you that that's the upper limit. But okay, but it's, we got um, we got a metric, so I'm going with it. Actually, we we, we normalized it so it's zero to 100, oh. just to, because people would be going crazy as to like you know why 343. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The right, the answer to everything is 42. Right? What? Okay, fine. Yeah. Um, well, we'll definitely have you back to the cafe, Thomas. It's been a pleasure, and um, we will see you soon. It was yes, a real we'll pleasure you. to be on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thomas. Be sure to register for our June 16th interactive session with Jennifer Ayers, The Ninth Invisible Waste, How You Show Up Matters. Jennifer is the Executive Director for Northwest High Performance Enterprise Consortium. She points out that emotional waste can consume up to two hours of your workday. So come join this session and learn ways to navigate this disruption and change. It's only two hours a day that were wasted? I thought it was a lot more than that. In some cases, I'm sure that could be up to eight hours and that's when you wanna quit. <laughs> yeah, Tracy, you're revealing too much about your day. <laughs> I mean, I've never felt that way when I've worked with you, Elizabeth. Oh no, thank you. <laughs> And finally, if you're planning your own improvement education journey, put our fall semester Lean Six Sigma Leadership course on your calendar. Our latest cohort recently graduated and they are already on their transformation journeys. This course just keeps getting better. So come join us. It's offered through UC San Diego and the fall class starts at the end of September and goes for 12 weeks. So start planning now and we'll provide a link to all of these on our website. All right, we are thrilled to have your company. The Just In Time Cafe is packed with members of our fabulous community. Join us next month and every month for your jolt of lean caffeine. <laughs>